We're going to read the nine verses in chapter 20. It says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and that they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but he did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house and to the city from which he fled. So they appointed Kadesh in the Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim or Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron or Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, and on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho, eastward, they assigned Betzer in the wilderness, on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramot in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, and from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all of the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. In chapter 20, we're given the list of the cities of refuge and then the reason for its existence and also their location. Why did they exist? They existed to protect anyone who accidentally or unintentionally killed someone in verses 1 through 6. Where did they exist? Three cities were going to be designated on the east side of the Jordan. And three cities were going to be on the west side of the Jordan. In a few moments, I'm going to put a... Um, a map up that's going to show you where those cities are located. And again, for those of you who are geographically challenged, the whole country is about the size of New Jersey. And so the three cities on the west side and the three cities on the east side are never very far away. And so in verse 1, where it says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. There are several things that you should note. The command to establish the cities of refuge was given by God himself. He is the one who established these places. And it began in the books of Moses. 
It was given in Numbers chapter 35, verse 6, but there was a whole instruction list that was given. But just for sake of, of brevity, it says, Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee, and to these you shall add 42 cities. And that's what we're going to see in the next chapter. There's going to be six places where a person can go and the Lord provided six cities for those guilty of accidental homicide or manslaughter and you begin to understand that the judicial system among the Jewish people was very different from ours part of what you have to come to grips with is in the ancient times the people of Israel had no police department and they had no prison system so how do you have justice and law in a place where there's no one to enforce the law? And by the way, are there people who kill other people? The answer is yes. Does it happen sometimes intentionally and sometimes accidentally? Well, the answer is yes. And so automatically you begin to understand something that murder is very, very important. The, the killing of a person was always important, even since the time of Genesis. In, in Genesis it said, if you, if you spill another person's blood, your blood will be spilled. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. How do you deal with the problem of murder? And then how do you deal with the problem of accidental murder and so we might think in terms of of what the text is saying the key words are accidental unintentional we might think of unaware ignorant unwitting and so some of you might right away go well thank god i've never killed anyone either intentionally or unintentionally but the truth is we can sin without intending to. Our sins broadly fall into two categories. Issues that we know are wrong, and we do them anyway, and things that we aren't necessarily aware of, but that they're still wrong. And you see, whatever is contrary to the perfect righteousness of God and the holiness of God is sin. So if you've ever wondered, what exactly is sin? It's anything that is contrary to the nature of God, the character of God, the revelation of God, the righteousness of God, and the holiness of God. And now all of a sudden we understand when the passage says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good. We may do things out of carelessness or misunderstanding or any number of reasons, but they're wrong. And they still have to be dealt with. And in the ancient world, the people of Israel, like I said, didn't have police departments or jails. It was the task of the nearest relative of the murdered victim to serve as what this passage calls goel. But which is translated the avenger of blood. Just like in every family, there's sort of a responsible relative. In the ancient world, there was a responsible relative to bring justice when a family member had been taken 
advantage of. This person was called the avenger of blood. The, it, he was also called the kinsman or the redeemer. And the goel or the kinsman and the redeemer, listen carefully, was tasked by law to save the relative from trouble or to avenge a relative who had been troubled. So the Bible differentiates between deliberate murder and accidental homicide. And so in verse 4 it says, And when he flees to one of these cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into that city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Now you might be thinking, well, what if he's running there but he's actually guilty? This doesn't apply to people who are actually guilty. But the people who are actually guilty are given a just process whereby their case can be heard and the judgment can be made. And if the person is in fact found guilty, then that person is going to be returned to the Goel or the avenger of blood or to the appropriate authorities or they themselves will execute the judgment. It says then in verse 5, if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. In our own culture and society, we have a, a concept called premeditation or malice aforethought. This is a biblical concept that intention really does matter when something horrible has happened. In verse 6 it says, and he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days, then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. And you might be wondering, well, why in the world would the death of the high priest give him an early release? And it's going to become a type and a picture of our own high priest. And his death with the passing of the high priest comes an exoneration of the law and liberty. So the law concerning the cities of refuge is really, really simple. Number one, the fugitive was to flee to the city of refuge and then present his case to the judge in verse four. Once the fugitive entered the city gates, the avenger of blood could not harm him. The fugitive was safe until the judge or the judges rendered their verdict. Number two, the person who accidentally or unintentionally killed someone was to be accepted by the city officials and they were also to be given a place in the city. This would include a job in order to earn a living. So when it uses the term in verse four, give him a place, it doesn't mean he just shows up and then lives off the goodness of everybody who happens to be there. He still has to make a way and has to make a living. Number three, the murderer was, again, never turned over to the avenger of blood. And by murderer, I mean unintentional, not deliberate. The reason given, the person who killed the person didn't premeditate the crime. 
Number four, the murderer was to remain in the city until the trial before the assembly or judges. That's verse six. If he was found innocent, he remained in the city until the death of the high priest. Then he could go home. If he was found guilty, he's handed over to the avenger of blood. That's what you see in Deuteronomy 19.12. Again, remember, the man who sheds blood by his by, by, by man, his blood will be shed. And so in verse 7 it says, So they appointed Kadesh in the Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, Kiriath Arba, which is in Hebron, on the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho, eastward they assigned Betzer in the wilderness and on the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and Gilead, from the tribe of Gad, and the Golan, Boshan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. Note that. The cities were available to the children of Israel, but it was also available to the Gentile, to the foreigner, to the stranger. Justice was available to all. In verse 9 it says, These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. Whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So note just very quickly. And Hopefully we can get our map up now of, of the, the places of the cities of refuge. I want you to note, and I want you to just visualize in your brain. You see at the north, Kadesh. Now, again, for those of you who are geographically challenged, remember the little lake up at the top? What lake is that? The Galilee. What's the bigger lake at the bottom? The Dead Sea. What's the blue line between the two lakes? The Jordan River. On the west side of the Jordan, there's Kadesh, Shechem, and Ebron. On the east side of the river, there's the Golan, Ramot Gilead, and Betzer. Now, Kadesh and Shechem and Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, is described by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 41 through 43. So, so the way I want to say this is Moses establishes the designated cities that are east of the Jordan. Betzer, Ramot, Golan. And again, when you saw the map, you noticed that the cities are scattered in such a way that the territory had easy access. In order to have easy access, that means there also had to be roads. You had to be able to get there. And then you had to be safely be able to get there. So the cities, now this is where we find Jesus. The cities become a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus who shelters the sinner from judgment. The Lord serves as our protection from sin, Death and judgment. So the writer of Hebrews is going to actually use this language in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 when he says that by two immutable things, that which is, it's impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that was set before us. They become a type and a, and a picture of fleeing to Jesus. Now, it's not a perfect picture in every way. We come to Christ 
and there's no investigation or trial. When we're guilty, we admit our sin. The only people that Jesus can save are the people who are willing to admit their guilt and believe not only in God's mercy, but believe that, that God is satisfied with the death of Jesus. If the fugitive left the city, he could be killed by the avenger of blood. But our security and salvation is secure in Christ. When the high priest died, the fugitive was free to go home. But when you are a Christian, you have a new high priest. Your high priest is in heaven, and he never dies. David Gusick, who's a wonderful uh, Calvary Chapel pastor, uh, writes, Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are within easy reach of the needy person. They're of no use unless someone can get to the place of refuge. Now again, this becomes a type and a picture of Jesus. They have to be able to get there. Just like the world in which we live. In order for Jesus to be the Savior, do people have to have access to him? And by the way, is Jesus ever very far from anyone? No. And he, he writes, both Jesus and the cities of refuge are open to all. Not just the Israelite. No one needs to fear that they would be turned away from their place of refuge in the time of need. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge become a place where the one in need would live. You, you didn't come to a city of refuge in time of need and just look around. In other words, you didn't go there and look around and say, look, I'm going to just stay here until I know that I'm safe. Guess what? You're going to have to probably stay there for an extended period of time. He writes, both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only alternative for the one in need. Without this specific protection, they would be destroyed. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge provide protection only within their boundaries. To go beyond those boundaries meant death. When both Jesus and the cities of ref with both Jesus and the cities of refuge, full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. A crucial distinction between the cities of refuge and our refuge in Jesus, the cities of refuge only helped the innocent, but only the guilty can come to Jesus and find refuge. So I love that. Now, when I was studying this, I did a little study about the names. The meaning of the names are very interesting. If you want to show the, the uh, map again, I just want to point out um, Kadesh and Shechem and Hebron and Betzer and Ramot. Kadesh means righteousness or holiness. Jesus is our righteousness and holiness. Shechem means shoulder or strength. Ebron or Kiriath Arba means fellowship. Betzer means fortress or the place of strength or safety. Ramot means the heights or the place that you go to be lifted up. Golan is one of those funny words. Scholars are split concerning its meaning. The Gesinius lexicon offers the word exile. Other scholars think that, it, that the root meaning of the word might be happiness. Warren Wearsby writes, quote, 
these names can be used to describe what sinners experience when they flee to Jesus by faith. First, he gives them his righteousness, and they can never be accused again. There's no condemnation for the Christian, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like a shepherd, he carries them on his shoulders, and they can enter into fellowship with him. He's their fortress, and they're safe. They dwell in the heights, even though they're exiles, pilgrims, strangers in the land. And so, in the cities of refuge... We see a type and a picture of our Lord. And now look at the cities of the rest of the Levites in chapter 21. It says, then the heads of the fathers, the houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers, the houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. Remember what you've already read. The children of Israel have come. The tribes have been given their distribution. Now it's the Levites' term turn to receive their inheritance. And so in chapter 21, it says, and they spoke to them at Shiloh. Remember, Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle is. This is the place where you go and you receive guidance and instruction. And again, it becomes a type and a picture that we go to where God is to get guidance and instruction. It says, they spoke at Shiloh in the land of Canaan saying the Lord commanded us through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands or their livestock. I already read that to you in the Old Testament. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the command of the Lord these cities in their common lands. Don't be confused. The fact that these 48 cities are given to the Levites doesn't mean that only the Levites live there. They're still within the tribal allotments. So envision a place where there is a mixed multitude of people, both the native tribes who are indigenous to the tribes and the Levite people. So the text, remember, has repeatedly told us that the Levites and the priests don't have a territory, but they're going to be scattered and that the Lord himself is going to be their inheritance. The priests were to represent the Lord to the people. But they still needed a place to live. And they still needed pastures for their flocks. And so it becomes a type and a picture, if you will, of the people of God making a provision for the priests or the pastors or the Levites. And remember that they were to represent the Lord. It says in verse 4, Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites, and the children of Aaron, the priest, who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. When we have the map up, you're going to see a picture of the towns and where they were given. The towns were determined by casting lots in verses 1 through 8. 13 towns were located in the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. Verse 5, the rest of the children of Koath had 10 cities by lot, from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, from the half-tribe of Manasseh. So, 10 towns were located among the tribes of Ephraim, Dan, and the half-tribe. In verse 6, it says, and the children of Gershon had 13 cities. Aaron had three sons. 
Those three sons represent tribal groups that are given in the text. And so when it talks about the rest of the children of Kohath, and then it talks about the children of Gershon, those are two of the sons of Aaron. So the, the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Azure, from the tribe of Naphtali, from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. Thirteen towns were located among the tribes of Issachar, Asher, Naphtali. This is, and then the western part of Manasseh in verse 6. Then in verse 7, the children of Merari, according to the families, had twelve cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Zebulon. Three sons, three tribes, scattered throughout the territories. The reason is going to be because these priests are going to represent God to the people and the people to God. Remember, these tribal people, do they have copies of the Torah? They really don't. Are they, do they, do they have access to Shiloh? Not necessarily. You're going to note something else in the text that the dominant cities that are going to contain most of the Levites are going to be centered around the center of the, of, of the, of the nation itself, which is going to be the place where Jerusalem is. In other words, even God at this point, of course, knows he's going to make Jerusalem the capital and the, the lists of the priests are going to have to do their due duty duty and diligence. And so in verse 8 it says, the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So now a list of the Levitical towns are given in verses 9 through 45. As we've seen in the past, as you're reading these, before I speak, you're going to, each of you have to now give a guess of how you think it should be pronounced. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put you through that. I know you're, going, you're looking, I don't know. How do I say that word? Well, in verse 9, it says, So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon these cities which are designated by name. Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin are going to provide the lion's share. Look what it says. In verse 10, Which were for the children of Aaron? one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And they gave them to Kiriath Arba. Arba was the father of Anak, which is in Ebron, in the mountains of Judah, which is the common land surrounding it. This is the place where the giants were. This is the place where the enemies were. This is the place that's the heart and soul of the nation. The priests are going to be given an assignment. In verse 11, and they gave them Kiriath Arba. In verse 12, but the fields of the city and the villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jepuna, as his possession. Remember, we already saw that. Thus, in verse 13, to the children of Aaron, the priest, they gave Ebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Libna with, with its common land. Jatir with its common land. Eshtemoa with the common land. Olon with its common land. Debir with its common land. Ain with the common land. Judah with the common land, Beth Shemesh with the common land, nine cities from those two tribes, and from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its command, a common land, Gibeah with the common land, 
Anathoth with the common land, Almon with the common land, four cities. All the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were 13 cities with their common lands. And the families of the children of Koath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Koath, even they had the cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. For they gave them Shechem with its common land, the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge. So you'll note that the 48 cities are going to include the six cities of refuge. Now this is going to be important because when the people are fleeing to these cities and the judgment is being made by the elders and the leaders, hopefully the priests are going to provide guidance, judicial guidance based on what the Bible says or the law of Moses and then to make sure that a just resolution is given. And so in verse 20, it says, In the families of the children of Koath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Koath, they had the cities from their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. Verse 21, For they gave them Shechem with the common lands in the mountains of Ephraim, a, a, a ref, city of refuge from the slayer. Getzer with its common land. Kibzaim with its common land. Beth Oron with the common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Dan, el with the common land. Gibathon with its common land. Ajalon with the common land, Gath-Rimon with the common land, four cities. And from the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with the common land, Gath-Rimon with the common land, two cities. All the ten cities with their common lands were for the rest of the families of the children of Koath. And so we see the divvying up and the provision made and the distribution throughout the land. This is going to be important. Because not only are the Levites to represent the people before God and God before the people, they're to know what the Bible says. They're to practice righteousness and justice and holiness and model it for the people. I get it. Some people go to church just so they can be, they go, I think I need to go to church so I can be reminded of what God wants me to do. I get that. If that's the only reason why you come, hallelujah, what can I say? People would gather together, but they're making a ministry provision. Look at verse 27. Also to the children of Gershon of the families of the Levites, from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, and Bet Eshtara with its common land, two cities. And from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with the common land, Dabaroth with the common land, Jarmuth with the common land, Inganin with the common land, four cities. And then in verse 30, and from the tribe of Azure, Mishal with its common land, Abdon with the common land, Helkath with the common land, Rehob with the common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in the Galilee with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Hamath Dor with the common land, Kartan with the common land, three cities. All of the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities in their common lands. And you might be thinking, why so many? How come they get so much? Well, if you read in Numbers chapter 26, 62, in Numbers chapter 26, verse 62, at that time, even before they entered the land, there were 23,000 Levites. So they've got to have places to go. 
And in order to evenly distribute them, it's going to require a great deal of thought. And so again, they're going to make a provision. And in verse 34, well, actually verse 33, and all the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their common lands. And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulun, Joknaim with its common land, Karta with its common land, Dimnah with the common land, and Nahalal with the common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Reuben, Betzer with the common land, Jahaz with the common land, Kedmoth with the common land, Mephath in the common land, four cities, and the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with the common land, a city of refuge for the manslayer, Mahanim with the common land, Heshbon with the common land, Jetzer with the common land, four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families, the Levites were by their lot 12 cities. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with the common land. And every one of these cities had common land surrounding it. Those were the cities. Again, in your mind, think lands shared by the tribes, also occupied by the Levites, so that there would be a spiritual presence in all of the land. So let's summarize. There are 48 Levitical cities, six cities of refuge. Each of the tribes contributed four cities, except for Judah and Simeon, who collectively contribute nine, and Naphtali, which contributed three. So the descendants of Aaron were Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. They distributed throughout the tribes, remember, 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 to influence the tribes. The influence is so that people would be faithful to the Lord. When I was reading this, I was thinking about, of all things, you. And where God has placed you. In the circumstance where God has placed you. In the homes where he's placed you. In the schools where he's placed you. In the businesses where he's placed you. He's placed you in places where no one else can be. So that you can be an influence. So that you can remind people. Of what kind of a God is God. Of what it means to be faithful to the Lord. Now in order to influence the tribes. The Levites had to be faithful. They had to be competent. They had to be qualified. They had to be authorized. No one could be a priest. Unless you came from the tribe of Levi. You couldn't function in this capacity. Unless you were a part of those families. They had what was called a hereditary priesthood. And like I said, only the Levites could serve and minister in the tabernacle. Only the Levites could later serve in the temple when it would be built. Like I said, not every Jew had a copy of the scripture. And so the Levites were to so identify with the people, so pray with the people, so be amongst the people that they could influence them. And so the priest or the minister was to teach the people the law, teach them to lead holy lives, 
Lead them in worship. Bring a strong testimony of faith, which is exactly what you're to do. And another reason included the fulfillment of the prophecy to Jacob in Genesis chapter 49, verses 5 through 7. So remember, God was going to be faithful to Moses. God proved to be faithful to Joshua. God gave Joshua victory over their enemies. God kept his promises. We learned about claiming those promises. The tribes were to willingly provide for the needs of the Levites. And so in verse 43, look what it says. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they took possession of it. And they dwelt in it. Pause. Did Israel occupy all the land from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the Euphrates, which we learned about in Joshua chapter 1? They actually didn't. But they did occupy all the land that Joshua divided. They did in fulfillment of the promise. Remember also in Joshua chapter 1 and 2, God said, I will give you all of the land which you place your feet upon. And so they received what they received according to faith when they placed their soul on the place where they walked. In verse 44, it says, the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Now, I want you to pause for a minute and think about this for a second. Were their enemies driven out and subdued? Not all of them. So what is this text saying? Were there still enemies in the land? The answer is yes. Not all the occupants were destroyed. Not all the Canaanites were gone. But that's not God's fault. God fulfilled his promise by defeating every foe against which Israel fought. If there were undefeated foes, if there were pockets of resistance, it wasn't because of God. It was because of Israel's failure or refusal to walk in the Lord. Now, here's where I would go with this. Were there enemies present? Yes. But they were powerless. They were defeated foes. They were powerless. And again, what is the application for us? The Bible says that Jesus has defeated all of our foes. The Father has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome Satan. The Holy Spirit has been given to live inside of us so that the flesh no longer should be able to manipulate us or control us. Does the world still provide problems? Does the devil still provide problems? I won't make you answer this next question. Does the flesh still create problems? Well, whatever your answer is, the Bible says it's not God's fault if you have a problem with the world. It's not God's fault 
if you have a problem with the devil. It's not God's fault if you have a problem with your flesh. Because God in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has given you all the resources that you need in order to live a life of victory. They were there, but they were powerless. Look what it says in verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. This is a tribute to God's faithfulness. This is Joshua's way of saying, everything that God promised us It was true. God made promises. And God kept his promises. But Israel didn't appropriate all of those promises. And when we pick up our Bible. And we read the promises that are given to us. That apply to us. We have a decision. And that is. Will we embrace them? Will we appropriate them? Now, some scholars and critics point out that the two lists of the Levitical cities that are found here, there's another list, just, I feel like I would be a bad Bible teacher if I didn't tell you this. There are two lists of the Levitical cities that are given in the Bible. Here, and in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 54 through 81. And those lists don't always match. And some skeptics and critics say, You see, the Bible can't be trusted. No, the simple answer is sometimes the names of cities change. And sometimes the spelling change. Sometimes old cities are abandoned. Sometimes new cities are occupied. And so it makes perfect sense to me that the list that's given in chapter 21 is for the time of Joshua in about 1,400 plus a few decades B.C. and the time of 1 Chronicles, which is going to be fast forward into the future to about 900 B.C. By the way, in 500 years, can a lot of things change? Yes. Warren Wiersbe writes, the covenant of God, the power of God, the promises of God, these are the spiritual resources that we can depend upon. We can claim our inheritance in Christ. For the last several weeks, I've been talking to you about that inheritance. What is that? Your sins are forgiven. You've been reconciled to God. You've been given the promise of heaven and so much more. Told you, two chapters. And I'm even letting you out early. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for grace. Lord, thank you that we have a Jesus that we can flee to. Lord, sometimes we do things and we know what we're doing is wrong. Sometimes we do things in a careless way, in a flippant way. We don't always think through what we're saying. And sometimes we hurt people with what we say and we do. 
Not intentionally, but unintentionally. Lord, we thank you that there's grace and mercy and forgiveness for the things that we know are wrong and for the things that we didn't exactly understand why they were wrong. Lord, thank you for this generous, copious salvation which you've given to us in the person of Jesus where all of our sin could be forgiven. All of our sins could be put away and that you could give us a new life, a new heart, a new start. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, let's stand.